You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome to a new episode of Delirious Nomads, brought to you by Blacklight Media Records, a weekly podcast hosted by yours truly, celebrity chef Chris Santos, I hate calling myself that, and underground metal connoisseur Matt Bacon, who loves being called that. This is your new favorite podcast for all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports and riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Delirious Nomads, brought to you by Metal Blade Records, Blacklight Media Records. I'm here alongside my good friend, Matt Bacon, as usual, and super excited about our guest today, um, the hottest celebrity couple in metal, Charlie Benante, who you know from Anthrax, among other things, and Carla Harvey from The Butcher Babies. Thanks, guys. Thanks for your time. (laughs) Oh, you're talking about us. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm talking about you. Hi, Chris. How's it going? What's up, guys? How are you I mean, good. Uh, I'm actually in scramble mode. Uh, we're getting ready to reopen all the restaurants in Los Angeles and New York. Yes. Which is cool. Yeah. Um, that's the only way I get to see you guys usually. So that's happening. I feel like after, um, you know, after a year of this, about, it was just about a year ago that I saw Kiss at Staples Center and like the ne- very next day, the world kind of fell apart. So it's been about a year um, and it's been a really long horrible year but i do see a light at the end of the tunnel and for um for both my restaurants and for what you guys do you know um, i think concerts and going out people going out to eat it's just going to be insane when when everything is completely back to normal because everybody took going to concerts for granted and everyone took going out to eat for granted and so i think uh i think shows and especially metal shows are going to be just completely bananas when uh when people can go back to the shows do you guys have any plans are you starting to talk about anything yet in terms of, of getting back on the road i was gonna say the last time we saw you was valentine's day last year yeah okay oh yeah that's true we were in la and that was like one of the last trips that we we, we took i can't believe it was that long already it was that long and it's, it just seems like yesterday it really does and um, then i i moved here to Illinois, where we live at now. Um, he's always lived here. I just moved here back to the Midwest. Um, and uh, it was shortly uh, after the pandemic, you know, began. And that was crazy moving in the middle of a pandemic and starting a whole new life in the middle of starting a whole new life along with everybody else. It's crazy. But it was, uh, you know, the other thing about it is, uh, of course, it was the fear of the unknown. Nobody knew last March how long this was going to go for. Remember, we were like, well, by May, things should be okay. And then May came and it's like, well, hopefully August. And then August came and then maybe, nope, ain't happening either. You know, the craziest thing for my band was that we had taken a year long hiatus in 2019 to kind of regroup and uh, we needed a new bass player. We needed a break after 10 years of just being on the road 10 months out of the year. I had a chance to travel with him, spend more time with him, which was great. 
And then we were gearing up for our first tour of, you know, 2020, you know, hit it back hard. And uh, it was in April um, with Hell Yeah. And we thought for sure this will just be a couple week thing. It'll be no big deal. And then, of course, you know, all of our worlds came crashing down. That tour never happened. No. And uh, other things happened in place of it. You know, uh, we, we found different things to do. We were creative doing things that we didn't know we could do and really helped mentally. It helped, helped me a lot. I mean, remember how crazy I was Yeah, going? he was pretty, getting pretty crazy at the beginning. I'm, I feel that I'm the kind of person that I learned a long time ago. I think, I think it stems from being, um, you know, I was an embalmer and a funeral director, saw a lot of death and um, saw people die at different stages of their lives. I think you never know what's next for you, whether that's a career change or whatever it is. So I feel like I've learned how to be happy in the moment and live in the moment and kind of, if I can't have that one thing that I normally do, I've learned how to be happy doing something else. So I was pretty serene and I actually was like, okay, I could use a break and I can sit at home and I can draw and I can write another book and I can do this and that, but he went a little nuts. Well, I was 24 seven watching the news, like what's gonna happen? Like, you know, the fear of, uh, you know, both mentally, your, your health, financially, like what's gonna happen? How long is this going to go for? Who's in charge? And what's getting done? So you you read this, you hear that, and I had to stop watching it all uh, yeah. because it was really fucking crazy. And yeah. uh, that's when she said, you know, you need to stop watching the news and stuff and go be creative again. And that's what I did. I called up uh, two friends. I said, hey, you want to start doing some video songs and blah, blah, blah. And we started doing these quarantine jams. and. Mm-hmm that was a, a focus and it got me out of that hole. I don't care what's going on. I need right. to know who's singing on this song, you know, stuff yeah, like right. that. You've and done a bunch it. of them, right? You've done a bunch of those quarantine jams, right? Yeah. I have uh, actually, uh, there's a, a record coming out of all of them. Oh yeah. That's yeah. really fun. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so something <laughs> awesome came out of it. And, you know, uh, Carla sang on some of those songs too. And, uh, you know, we both, did things that we didn't think we were going to do. And also we did it like in the kitchen together on a Friday night, you know? <laughs> so instead of going out, you know, we love to go out to dinner. We love going out drinking. Um, we love doing things. We're always traveling, doing something, but it became really nice and very intimate to actually sit at the kitchen table with each other, learn how to record vocals together while we're drinking. Our drink of the quarantine was um, Italian mules. Yeah. So he started oh, making us these Italian nice. mules and, you know, I'd be singing vocals in the kitchen and, um, or we'd be, you know, Charlie is an art, we're both artists. So, um, we'd be drawing or painting together and it became a, a whole different thing, which I said, I thought was very intimate and very cool rather than just another night out at a restaurant. I feel like we developed an even deeper bond, like doing those things. I've never done those kinds of things with a significant other. And it was, it was really cool for me. No. And and the thing I kept saying, which the title of this record that's coming out is called silver linings because there were silver linings, even though like people were dying daily in this country and other countries too. It was just like the shock of it all. Like, how is this happening in our country? How is this taking place? And nobody's like controlling it. It was driving me fucking crazy, man. Yeah. And, uh, and that's why I just had to kind of focus something better. 
you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, the whole thing is terrible. I mean, you know, we have our restaurant companies, 37 restaurants and nightclubs now, and we have like 5,500 employees and we had to lay off like over 5,000 of them. And we ended up starting a, uh, we started a nonprofit. We raised like $3 million and we've been paying people's rents. We paid for people's, you know, mom's funerals, like dishwashers. They didn't have any money and their mom passed away from COVID. But what I really tried to tell my staff in my line of work is, you know, we, we always work really hard and we, also work when it's, you know, um, we work on Thanksgiving and Valentine's Day and New Year's Eve and all those days, you know, where everyone else is out and celebrating. I've really been just trying to, you know, my, my staff's going crazy. They want to get back to work, but I'm like, you're never going to get this opportunity again to connect with your family, to be with your kids or to just do something that you love. Like I started playing drums again uh, during this quarantine and, um, and, you know, my wife is, uh, you know, teaching, we bought a paint piano and she's learning how to play piano. And so like there were silver linings for sure, but obviously, you know, it sucked as well. You're absolutely right about that. It gave you time to connect with the family. I mean, we have dinner every night. Yeah. I, I don't think I ever cooked for anybody. That was like something I was never going to do. Wasn't into it. But when the pandemic started, I started cooking for Charlie and his daughter almost every night and we'd buy the meal kits to learn how to use different ingredients. And now it's like, you know, I come home from the gym and he's like, what's for dinner? <laughs> so I got to stop. I got to cut it out. No, but I, no, he cooks as well. He makes some awesome Italian cutlets. And, that's right. You know, I have my specialties too. Ceviche. But uh, yeah, it's been nice to, like I said, all these things are completely foreign to me, you know, um, like being in the home all the time and making dinner and, and connecting in that way. And I've come to find that I didn't think I was very domestic, <laughs> but I think that I, I actually am. And I've, I've enjoyed playing that You're role. Yeah. And even I moved too. I moved in the middle of this as well. I moved in May and uh, I bought a brand new house here in LA. And um, I also got back to cooking at home, which is something I never did in New York because I, you know, even, even though, you know, I had a very nice apartment in New York kitchens don't have a lot of real estate. And also I was in the, I was in a restaurant every day. So like if I was an accountant, I wouldn't go home and do math. Right. So like, so going home and cooking was not, if it was my day off, I would like order out. Cause I, I don't want to, I don't want to cook on my day off, but here I, for the last year I've been cooking like crazy and, and it's been great. But anyway, I want to stop there because so I, if, if you notice, I'm looking at my phone and I'm not being rude. Um, you know, I know you guys obviously, um, and we run into each other when you guys come out to eat or we see each other at shows or whatever. Um, and, but you, but, but I don't, you know, we don't, it's a fairly new friendships for, for the three of us. I mean, I was on tour with Carla in 2013, but I think we only just said hi to each other, you know, on the tour, that was about it. So I did burgers. So <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I did do a little, a little digging and um, I don't know if you you know, what you want to talk about or what you maybe won't, don't want to talk about, but I did learn this morning that you were an embalmer and a funeral director. And I was like, what? I had no idea. Um, is that something you would be comfortable talking about? I'm just curious. Yeah, if, of course. That's what like I, how do, what yeah, I do. Like, um, I had no idea. So that, that piece of information, I didn't know. Any, I didn't know. Like, so how does, what, what was the interest or, I mean, I'm sure it was fascinating. Since I was a kid, I've always been probably overly fascinated with death and dying and how the body works. And, um, you know, I really consume, I would read medical journals when I was very, very young and just learn about every disease that I could. And I, in my head, um, I, I also grew up Catholic. I went to, you know, um, catechism and all that kind of stuff. And I, but ever since I was a child, I had, I knew I was an atheist. So 
I was kind of confused because everyone else around me seemed to, you know, be very devotely interested in, in, you know, an afterlife. And I wasn't. And so that made me kind of think about death in a different way from other people. Maybe as a child, I was really overly preoccupied with what happens after you die. And, um, if there's some sort of energy exchange or what happens, because even as like, I'm telling five, six years old, I didn't think there was a, a heaven or hell. So I think that's kind of why I was so interested in it and wanted to find answers for myself and really sought out answers. Um, and I always loved science, um, was super into everything science when I was young. So um, when I found a program in LA, I, I was a model and actress and did uh, the, the news for the Playboy channel. And I was so unhappy. And I thought to myself, when I found this embalming program, I said, well, let me go back to school, stop being in entertainment and be of service to people who need me. And I just, so I went to school and um, I fell in love with funeral service, fell in love with helping people. I thought I would only want to do the embalming. And I actually ended up loving the funeral service part more. I loved being a funeral director and just holding people's hands and talking to them. I also worked in hospice uh, with terminally ill patients. And now I'm a grief counselor and a death doula in my, um, when I'm not touring. And so it's actually been really cool during COVID to grow that business as well. I have a business called Good Grief LA. Um, and I'm again, a, just a grief counselor and a death doula. And a death doula is um, kind of like a midwife for death. It's someone who comes in and educates uh, the terminally ill person in their family about what's happening to their bodies, what's going to happen, um, helping them fulfill last wishes, legacy projects, uh, hold just like I said, even just human connection, human touch, you know, nowadays um, I find that Americans especially are so afraid of death because it's the end of their American dream. And, you know, we don't have old people in the home with us anymore. Usually we send our, our uh, you know, grandmas, grandpas and mothers and fathers to a nursing home. So we don't watch aging anymore like we used to back in the day. We don't watch death in the home. So it's uh, shocking to people and it really shouldn't be. And so a doula just comes in and kind of eases everyone's minds and, and lets you know that you have choices surrounding your death, which I think is really important, especially um, if you're faced with a long-term illness you're, um, and you want to know, you know, what's going to happen as you go, even things like what smells you want, what music you want playing. People don't like to think about that kind of stuff, but it happens to all of us. And so yeah. it's good to be prepared and think about it. No, it's incredible. I mean, it's 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 incredible that you you've done that kind of work, or or people who do that kind of work. It's not talked about enough. I don't think how important it is. And like you know, when you said that you fell in love with being a funeral director, I was kind of waiting for the second part of the sentence. And when you said just like holding people's hands and getting them through it, like you know, you don't. I hate funerals. I never really give much thought to what a service the people that are directing the funeral are really doing. So thanks for opening my eyes to that. Yeah. My mom actually does something similar within oh, the cool. church. And one thing she said that really struck me was, you know, the amount of people she was one of the last five people that that person saw before they died. Yeah. And that's like something that's been weighing on her basically. Is, is that something that you think about? I, I think it's a gift because some people don't mm -hmm. have anyone. And a yeah. lot of when I worked in hospice, there was a lot of older people who didn't have anyone or families weren't close or came in yeah. 
just once in a while. So, you know, I had one older gentleman and he always would say that I was his angel and because he didn't have anyone. And like I said, human touch is one of the most important things in life. And if you have no one to talk to, no one to just kind of just, just hold, just put their hand on you. Like I said, human touch can change someone's life, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I don't, I don't think of me coming in and being like, well, what, what, what is this girl doing here? Why does she, <laughs> I think that anybody who is willing to sit with you at a time when you need their presence is, is a gift. So. Absolutely. You know, another thing you said is I also grew up Catholic and went to catechism and a funny story about that. And I'm also atheist. Um, I learned from my catechism teacher that there was no Santa Claus. The irony there, it's like so thick, like, you know, breaking my heart, telling me that Santa Claus doesn't exist while at the same time trying to make me believe that this guy is having an owl. So anyway. My, I have a funny Santa Claus story too. My dad, I told him the story. It was one of the most heartbreaking stories of my childhood. My dad has a very big personality. It's not always the greatest, nicest personality, but he had bought me a sewing machine for Christmas and then Santa brought me a sewing kit to go with it. And as a child, I was just blown away that Santa was so smart that he knew that I was getting this sewing machine to go with the sewing kit he was bringing me. And my dad was so jealous that Santa Claus got props. He was like, I, Santa didn't buy you that shit. I did. There's no fucking Santa Claus. (laughs) And I was just like, so shocked that I don't even think I used the sewing machine after because it was so traumatic to me (laughs) that Santa Claus didn't bring me anything. Oh my God. So, but anyway, uh, Matt wants to ask you a bunch of dorky Jaws, Jaws questions. I mean, you know, there's, there's always Jaws questions, you know, cause you were in the Jaws documentary, right? I was. This is something I've like thought about extensively. Like how does it even feel to like be in the documentary for your favorite movie? Like that's gotta be kind of nuts. <laughs> right. So met the, the guys who were doing it and uh, they said, we can't get out to you to, do, to send a crew can you get a film crew there to do it? Here's a bunch of questions, blah, blah, blah. And then just talk about why you love Jaws. And I think I talked for about three hours and they edited it down to like, you know, 60 <laughs> seconds or something. But that's awesome. When I saw it and I saw like Roy Scheider and then someone else and then me and then back to like Spielberg, I flipped out. I'm like, I'm in the company of these people that I worship, you know? So. Jaws is a, is a, I don't know what it is about the movie, but, um, you know, I took a trip to Martha's Vineyard uh, many, many years ago, and I wanted to find each location that things were shot or this happened or that happened. And when I went there, it's in Edgarstown in, in Martha's Vineyard. Not a lot of people knew anything about Jaws locations or anything. I had to find them myself. The kid who played Alex Kittner was a manager in the restaurant down there and they had a thing called the Alex Kittner burger it was like a fish fillet type of sandwich with like this red sauce so uh, (laughs) (laughs) how did they find you how did they know that you were such a huge mega fan um a friend of mine who does a lot of the horror conventions knew of them from like uh, someone at Universal and then they put me together because I feel like Jaws to me is sort of like hearing extreme metal for the first time where like you hear it and you're like, what the fuck, you know, and it kind of scares you. And like that, you know, and you kind of look for that high. Did you get that feeling too, where it's like that movie's like more disturbing than like any slasher I've ever seen. 
I think out of any movie, I think it's still, it kind of messed with me. I can't go in like deep water till this day. I just freak out, you know? So it definitely had a long lasting effect. Like The Exorcist too had a bit of an effect because I too grew up Catholic. And when that movie, I was young when that movie came out. And like Catholicism in America, especially, you, could, you couldn't touch that, you know, back then. If you said the slightest thing, you were done, you know? And when that movie came out, it went against a lot of the beliefs that, you know, you know Catholics had. So that's why I think it has such a big effect on, you know, it was a big box office draw. If it came out today, I don't think it would be the same. Right, right. Did you have, did you have you ever seen the movie Open Water? Oh yeah, yeah. That that is terrifying to me. Um, I, I'm Water not a very is terrifying man. It's just yeah, terrifying. I can I have I can barely swim. I and I only get in my pool here at the house. I I won't get into an ocean or anything like that. Have I'll you get ever on gone, Have you ever gone diving like like scuba diving or anything? No. So it's funny. Last year I was in Jamaica or somewhere. I don't. Remember where it was two years ago, rather. Sorry, and we took a boat out way deep, and um, everybody was going to go snorkeling. And I decided, to, you know, it's like eight couples, and I, I was, I was like, "Fuck it, I'm going to get in the water." And I had a life jacket on and everything. And I, as soon as I, I climbed down the ladder and I dove in, and it was like, "Get me the fuck out of here right now!" <laughs> um, but a funny thing that happened was, is as I was swimming or struggling to get back to the boat. Somebody else, another gentleman that was with us, was having the same problem, but was having an even more extreme reaction. So I actually helped him get onto the boat first. And Natalie reminds me of that when I say that I'm terrified of water. She's like, yeah, but when you had a chance yourself or somebody else, like you forgot that you were terrified of the water for a minute and helped somebody else. So the worst thing about for me, I went diving one time and um, put a tank on and everything, you know, breathing apparatus, all that whole. And uh, went down with an instructor too. It was in Hawaii. And when I got down to the surface, I looked up, I freaked out and I just panicked and shot right back up. I couldn't breathe. He followed me up. He's like, you okay? I'm like, yeah, I just freaked out, you know? Went back down and then I got calm and everything. And then it's a different world down there. And it's like, it's not our world to be fucking with. So. Whatever's yeah. down there, it's just like you're done, you know, you ain't getting out of there, you know, faster than they're getting you. So right. I had all these visions of in a distance, something was coming, I was freaking myself out. So Jaws, that fucking yeah. movie. <laughs> um, so then what, what I learned about you today, Charlie, is that uh, I think I knew this anyway, but I but I read that you your your um your most favorite fictional character is Darth Vader, right? I love Darth Vader. It's, so I wanted to show you a tattoo that I have. It's this is right when I got it, so my leg is shaved, so I may look weird, but I have a stormtrooper, and on his knuckles it says "Dark Side." <laughs> That's awesome. I, I, have, I have that on my leg. Uh, let's get to the present a little bit. So, like, so you guys kind of covered what you were doing in quarantine. What's what's the rest of twenty twenty one look like? I mean, you got the live stream coming up, right? I've got a live stream. Finally, we play a show, um, and. We just were rehearsing all week and it was pretty awesome. You know, I, I said I was happy at home. Didn't know if I felt like doing it, you know, just go, there's just things you go through in your head, but it was really fun. And you, it's like riding a bike, like they say, you just, 
get back up there. And uh, it felt it felt good to uh, be on stage with my friends again, you know. And then, of course, we had some stuff planned in the summer. So everything's still up in the air. You know, there's talk of tours. You know, I do know that the, the festivals in California, Aftershock is going to happen, which we're really excited about. Both of our bands are on Aftershock and, That's in the fall. and Louder Than Life in the yeah, fall. Yeah. So I actually have a call with Danny Wimmer tonight. And, um, yeah, well, I tell him we said hello, and we cannot yeah. wait for those festivals. Yeah, um, but either. those are definitely going to happen, supposedly. <laughs> and yeah. uh, who knows what else will happen the rest of the year. And, um, Nothing. you know, if we're... <laughs> If we're stuck at home, I've got personal plans. I, I write comic books, so I want I have two more that I'm writing. I'm writing a second book. Um, he's writing some solo stuff that I'm helping him with. It's like all these little dreams that you have that may or may never come to be finished projects, but you know, I, I think you owe it to yourself to do them, especially while you have time. I definitely couldn't sit at home all day and and do nothing. It's like I have to be working. So no, I, ha I have to keep busy too, or else I, you know, exactly. You start falling into, uh, you know, getting depressed watching things. So we, we have an art show that we're doing, which I've never done anything like that before in my life. And she kind of pushed me to do it, which, uh, it hasn't happened yet. So after it happens, I'll let you know how, how, <laughs> how happy I was, but it's definitely taken. Its toll. You're going to, he's going to love it. He's <laughs> sometimes I got to push him a little bit to, uh, you know, go outside his comfort zone i mean he's been, i've been painting a lot he's been painting it's been awesome too like i said again those friday nights together painting have been awesome painting oh cool great <laughs> have you discovered any new like influences on your visual art either of you because you both kind of are involved in that well i actually have been really really smitten with uh you know the old illustrations i i'm forgive me i don't know the, the name of it um, but the old stuff that you'd see in the fifties and like playboy magazines, the kind of smutty, um, I mean, my, my art is always a little smutty, but this is a different, like a very cartoony pinopy style that I've been kind of obsessed with. Um, we've both been doing a lot of stuff digitally, like on procreate. So that's like learning a whole different thing as well. Um, I always, I usually use, uh, ink and marker. And so you have to like learn everything again when you actually do it, you know, in an app on the iPad. So that's been kind of fun to re exchange brushes and, um, I mean, I love textures. doing it when I'm, in, when I'm like absorbed in the whole thing of, uh, of doing a painting and everything I'm into it. And then I, I often say, I hate painting, but I love having painting, uh, because the, the finished product mm -hmm. of like, Oh, that looks great. Why was I, you know, yeah. why did I hate doing it? He's, he's just so, he's so good at, you know, things like that. Like that's how we met, you know, we, we met backstage at a show and we started talking and my band had covered an SOD song. So we were talking about that. And um, I said, Hey, I, I heard that you are an artist and I am an artist too. And I sent him some stuff and we talked about all the silly stuff that we like, you know, we're both big nerds. We love star Wars and comic, comic books. books and, toys you know um so um sharing art together and then making art together has been really cool and like i said i want i want everyone to see how 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 awesome he is at everything oh cool <laughs> there you go <laughs> i'm still waiting for mine where's mine Chris got it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, i don't know that you could write that record in 2020 
The SOB. No. Not. <laughs> that was like one of my favorite thrash records in high school, and I've definitely like gone back and been like, oh, okay. Nobody, <laughs> nobody has a sense of humor anymore. So nope. my band covered Pussy Whipped, and it was Classic. such a fun song for, for a yeah. couple of broads to sing. <laughs> they would have canceled us canceled us immediately i mean they just fucking changed the name of mr potato head see that i yeah. saw that come on i thought doc, the dr seuss thing was kind of weird but it was actually from the dr seuss family well, they, i i did read a little more about that and i did see a few things that <laughs> were kind of eyebrow raising yeah, yeah. in the literature there but you know i just i just feel like certain things are like a stamp in time and uh, yes yeah. you would write them today but there's no reason to take them off the market completely or take them out of the library. It's like you can explain why it's wrong to people. Exactly. But, it needs to know. be there for a reason. I mean, the, the whole there was like all these book burning, you know, things back when I was a kid. And, you know, certain books that you weren't supposed to read. And I just I thought that was wrong. I think well, that too. <laughs> but uh, you know, I just feel like every piece of literature has its, has its place and um, you learn from the bad. And um, I have to interrupt you and tell you guys, so you got these beautiful um, pinball machines behind you, which I'm very jealous of, but the one directly behind Carla, the one all the way to the, to my left has a, um, there's a, on the bottom there, there's like a little video, um, like a, a, a screen and it shows somebody putting a quarter into the. Yeah. Um, on the Iron Maiden one. On the Iron Maiden one, it shows a hand every now and then it shows a hand putting a quarter into the machine. But the way you're sitting, it looks like it's feeding your ear quarters. <laughs> That's how I keep talking. That's so funny. I'm super just I, I um I did just get an outdoor, a beautiful, beautiful outdoor pool table, um, which which is great. And I have space for some um, for some pinball machines, but I don't have any yet. Uh, well, so I'm super jealous of your setup. We'll talk about that afterwards. I'll, okay. uh, I'll put you in touch with that. Okay, great. I love it. Um, so just, we don't have, a, we don't want to keep you all night. I do have a couple of quick questions. So the, the Butcher Babies record that's coming out is coming out when? We're not sure yet. You know, we had to kind of re, we've been releasing a single every month, which has been actually really fun. And, um, you know, so I don't know when the album is going to come out. We, we're doing things a bit differently this time. So we um, dropped our label. We wanted to try something different and we're doing everything on our own and um, we're just being distributed. And um, it's been really cool because we've been hiring our own team, our own PR team. And we've actually, our Spotify listens have gone up insanely doing it on our own. So we're going to kind of continue doing this formula for a while, a new song, a new video every month, something to look forward to for the fans all the time. And then when the time is right, we'll release everything also as an, as an album. But uh, like I said, I think this gives the fans something to look forward to. Yeah, no, that's super cool. And Charlie, what about you? Are there anthrax plans in the, in the future? So right record? before COVID hit, right before we shut down, we were working on a new record. We had about seven songs and then it hit. And that was it. We just kind of stopped. And we felt that we didn't want to put a record out during this time that we couldn't go and promote it, you know? Because uh, why? Why, you know, oh, there's a new Anthrax record. Okay, great. And it's, it's, it's done in two weeks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So we waited. And during this time, I've been writing 
a lot. So I have like, you know, 15 more songs ready to go. So I want to have a bunch of songs ready so that we can pick and choose which ones are going to make it. And then, I don't know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a good thing right now. That, uh, I feel really good. I see like the, the yellow light is approaching green and, you know, I think it's going to be uh, really inspiring once everything is open and, and we're out doing it again. Yeah, for sure. Well, because this year is 40 years of anthrax, right? Well, sort of depending how you count it. Let me verify. So when we're saying 40 years, it's like since high school. So um, like Scott started the band when he was in high school. I joined the band a couple of years later. So it's about 30 something years. But nevertheless, it's a long time. <laughs> so we've been we're doing a, we're doing this live stream which is going to consist of a song from every record. And we're going to do like maybe 30, almost 40 songs during this live stream. And it's going to go from fistful all the way to like for all Kings. And uh, it's going to be intense. My arms are really fighting with me right now about it. How do you even learn 40 songs like that? That's crazy. Well, if you've been in the band since, True. <laughs> yeah. Better notes. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, coming from a singer's point of view. Yeah, I mean, we, we just did our first um, album in its entirety, you know, for our live stream and a few extras. And some of the, like the lyrics that, you know, it's like we wrote these lyrics. I just, I just don't remember the song going there. But yeah, you get you get it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, you get back on your bike and you, and you start riding. I'm going to be rusty, but, you know, it'll happen over a period of hours um like when you guys do if you know if the danny wormer festivals go through like the louder than life is in september how long typically would you spend with your respective bands rehearsing in this like where we are now right you haven't been touring you haven't been you haven't been able to be in the same room with everybody like how 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 long will you rehearse so that you're so that you're ready for the stage i mean for for it we like i said my band has spent time rehearsing for this Big show, so we could probably go in in a couple of days and and do it, you know. Uh, for singers, especially when you scream and then sing, um, I think it takes a couple of days to get your voice back strong, or else you're, you'll lose it the second you go out there. It's like a muscle that you have to work out. So, I mean, I'll I would probably be warming up at home and then spend a couple of days with the band. That's what we do. The thing the thing about us is we don't like to. Over, like rehearse that much because we like to keep it really spontaneous if something should happen uh we like to kind of go with it you know um uh the only thing we have to do is of course you know for lighting cues you know things like that the technical side of things but as far as playing goes we like to keep the songs kind of you know uh oh there's an element of tension to it that sounds stressful to me <laughs> oh but it, it adds to the you know keeps it yeah, keeps it a little bit raw right yeah, I like it. That's rock and roll. That is rock and roll. Yeah, very cool. I can't believe it's been forty years. Holy shit! Uh, either kind. I don't even remember it. <laughs> I'm gonna be I'm gonna be fifty in in two weeks, and um, like the other day, I saw that it was the thirty fifth anniversary of Master of Puppets, and I'm like, I instantly was transformed to when I was. I mean, I remember like being fifteen and work, you know, working as a prep cook in a restaurant and listening to that record every single goddamn day, and I'm like, it's been thirty five years, like. Like, yeah. death is approaching. I am going to need you, Carl. <laughs> I mean, I used to think about this stuff when I was like, you know, 
uh, like when the Beatles records were hit, would hit like the 25th anniversary, you would think, oh my God, you know, now that stuff just comes out like, you know, it's 25 years already. You believe that? Shit, it's been 10 years. It's just flying by. And I the think this last metal bands in particular that came out sort of in the 80s, what you know, the, and the heavier metal, not not the hair metal, but the staying power, like everybody's still out there. Everybody bigger, as, as big as they've ever been. You know, you guys, Metallica, Maiden, Priest, like it's crazy the staying power of metal bands. Another generation picks yeah, up. It's pretty cool to watch. Uh, when I was on tour with him all last year, just, you know, and I've been many times, but I never get bored of watching Anthrax because each member of the band is like a character and everyone is so fun to watch after all these years doesn't matter how many times i see them it's so just so much fun you know why because it's not rehearsed <laughs> <laughs> i'm still not gonna ever use that method ever. <laughs> no but uh i i enjoy, I you know what was the show we were going to when it all we were gonna go see elton john i think yeah we and then it, and then it all came to a close you know and it's like shit my daughter was pissed because billy eilish was here the next week and that all came down so mm -hmm. people are just you know hungry again and i think um once this happens i think a lot of the tension in this country it's starting to kind of dissipate but i think it's going to kind of yeah calm down even more you know yeah let's hope let's hope i hope so um, and I can't wait for metal to come back, but it's, it might be one of the last things to really come back because it's impossible to have a socially distant mosh pit. It's impossible. No, no but the, the one good thing about, you know, a lot of bands, even bands my size, is that there are venues that are going to open up for bands our size first. And even if, you know, you guys did like a more of a club tour that was super limited there you know i think that there's there'll be places for metal bands to play there's not going to be places for you were talking about billy eilish that you know yeah, yeah. they're not going to be able to do big tours like that but the smaller tours i think you're going to be didn't you guys play uh did um, didn't the anthrax play saint vitus a couple years ago yeah yeah we did yeah. a thing uh for a charity for Gilmore. yeah i was there i was there yeah. i don't know if i met you before that i don't know if i did we know each other by then the first time i met you i think was at stanton social maybe yeah maybe upstairs but yeah i think i didn't meet you on the mayhem tour i know that it was um well he was on the he mayhem on, tour yeah. that i was on 2013. we did the one he did before he did yeah, 2012. It was before that yeah so let me ask you this question What's popular right now in your world as far as food? What's the new thing that's... Honestly, the whole industry has been shaken up so much. I mean, I would just say that um, I've never seen such a movement. And it's obviously, it's part of the fabric of, of California and Los Angeles. But but I'm seeing it everywhere is um, just the, the sort of, you know, vegan, vegetarian and sustainability, uh, it, you know, and the... And the and, Having having things be sustainable, not necessarily farm to table, but but this is, uh, people are getting behind sustainability more than they ever ever have, um, and just people are moving towards a, a more plant based um, diet, and chefs are embracing that. I'm embracing it more than I ever have. I mean, I'm not a meat and potatoes guy. I'm a meat guy, <laughs> and, and and I don't necessarily eat like the healthiest things. And oh, even over just the last maybe four or five years, you know, 
Um, I've really started embracing vegetables and I mean, I was really fat for a while. I'm still, I, I still kind of go up and down, but I was really fat. And, and so I kind of had to take control of that. And um, I started, I started going to a more plant-based diet and, and cooking in my restaurants. Um, cha- you know, I lost 30 pounds, people magazine covered it. It was like really weird, but I just started cooking with vegetables a lot more. And, and, and I was like, wow, I've been cooking for 30 years. And I am only now learning that this is that parsnips are fucking delicious. <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm exaggerating, of course. In the email, I said we could talk about the joys of uh, bok choy. And uh, I wasn't joking. <laughs> we put bok choy in the air fryer and it's like the greatest thing. I made, um, <laughs> I make fish tacos with bok choy and pineapples. And it's oh, awesome. Nice. It's Very awesome. nice. Maybe we'll have to cook together one time in my house. That'd here. be awesome. Oh, can we be on Iron Chef one night? Yeah, for sure. We can do whatever you want. We can do whatever you want. So they can have my tacos. <laughs> He's a terrible, like Gordon Ramsay. It's just like, we got to wrap this up. Matt, you got anything else for this lovely couple? No, I'm just very grateful to have gotten to uh, have the chance to talk to you guys. Thanks for having us. It was fun. Yeah. Great having you. Anything else, anything you want to pitch, promote, tell, talk about? You didn't bring up coffee once, which I am can't believe. My coffee's everywhere. I wish. Uh, No, it's, uh, of course, you could get it on on my website myname.com and charliebenante.com and of course what else are we doing we're We're just doing a lot of art more of these art shows you got to check out his art on his site because he's not going to promote it himself he's got some really awesome prints for sale that he's been working hard on and i do too carlaharvey.com is my site and and please listen to all the new butcher baby stuff we have some really heavy stuff coming out in the coming months and stuff that we're super proud of. And um, so don't, uh, don't pass it up. Yeah. And beauty and Essex in Chicago. When? Yeah. When? You know what? There, there are, there are three beauty and Essexes. Uh, I can't really, I can't say it out loud because nothing's signed yet, but um, there are three beauty and Essex, uh, new beauty and Essex locations that are very close to coming to uh, reality and Chicago is one of them, but, but I'm, I can't say anymore. Okay. <laughs> but I will keep you posted. You'll be one of the first to know, if not the first. All right. You guys are awesome. I really appreciate the time. You guys, I can't wait till we see you uh, again. Um, let me know when you're, when you come out West, uh, the restaurants will be open um, unless something weird happens again. But I, I think I, I would hope not. And um, yeah, do your thing. Thanks so much. Thank you. Awesome. Thank, Thank you guys. guys. Thank you. Man. Really appreciate it. All right. So that was awesome. Thank you, everyone out there, for listening to Delirious Nomads, sponsored by Blacklight Media. We will be coming back at you next week with another awesome guest. Be sure to follow Blacklight Media on socials for new music and more. And above all, keep it heavy. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, 
and while we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.